The reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 25, verses 19 to 34. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is God's word. Good morning. My name's Nick. I'm one of the ministers of Christchurch Mayfair. Uh, let's start with a prayer. God, Father, we pray that uh, you would be our teacher this morning. We pray that you would meet us in your word. Amen. Uh, there's a, an elderly couple I know who many, many years ago, decades ago, they adopted a young lad. Uh, And that's always a difficult situation, but this situation turned out to be particularly difficult because this lad turned out to have uh, various behavioral, severe behavioral difficulties. Much later in his life, they would be diagnosed as a particular kind of disorder. But at the time, there was no such diagnosis. The parents didn't know any of that. What they did know was that this young lad had a temper which would regularly blow up to the extent that it was dangerous for them and for other people. And what they, what else they did know was that he stole from them regularly and would lie about it. And they would try and shower him with understanding and provide a more framework and consequences, but nothing changed. And there was never uh, any remorse, even from a young age. And through the years, these patterns just grew. So it went from being regular phone calls from schools uh, leading to expulsion to regular phone calls in his later teenage years from the police and periods in jail. And through this time, his treatment of the parents never really changed. He would uh, show up at home, sometimes talk to them, sometimes not, steal whatever he could from the house and clear off. 
If he was challenged, he could become threatening and violent. Now, at any point during this uh, time, these parents could have gone to the authorities and said, look, this isn't working. But they never did. Their love for him just would not let him go. So when the police would call yet again and say, look, here are all these, all these damages and he's paid, we'll pay. He's our son and we love him. Whatever he does, we'll pay. To the extent that they're now in a very different financial situation to what they would have been before. But their love for this young lad just wouldn't let him go. And that is a little picture of what we're going to see about God in the section of Genesis that we're starting today. Over the next few Sundays, we're going to be looking at the life of Jacob, Genesis uh, 25 to 35. And we're going to see two big themes. The first one, like I mentioned, is God's relentless grace. He is utterly set on uh, blessing and protecting this family, even though they don't deserve it. It's not that he, he blesses everyone, we're going to see that today, but those he does have mercy on, his love just won't let them go. The second big theme we're going to see is that they are horrible. This family are thoroughly unpleasant. They are unpleasant characters. They all fight with each other. They ignore gods. They are not nice. They are not cardboard cutout heroes. But I actually quite like that because it means that as we look at this story, we are going to be seeing real people encountering the real gods and learning to live in light of his unbelievable grace in the mess of everyday life. Now this week, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 25, and the big lesson is going to be this. Don't trade God's eternal blessing for immediate pleasures. Don't trade God's eternal blessings for just immediate pleasures, what feels good in front of us in life now. We'll see that as we work our way through. Let's dive in then at verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So uh, Abraham's son Isaac has twins, and in the womb, these twins fight. The word it says there is jostled, can also be translated smashed. I don't know how much room there is to swing a punch in utero, but these babies are giving it a good go. You think, poor, poor Rebecca, it's hard enough to be pregnant at the best of times without this kind of little royal rumble going on in her tummy. But when the time comes for them to be born, skip to verse uh, 25, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So one comes out uh, and is uh, covered in hair, red and covered in hair, and the other one comes out clutching his heel. So naturally, Rebecca calls them uh, Esau, which means hairy, and Jacob, which means heel grabber. 
You can imagine the family coming to visit the newborn babies. Oh, lovely, what are they called? Well, this is Harry, and this is Heel Grabber. Think, hmm, must have been a difficult pre pregnancy uh, for Rebecca. But actually, what we see is that as they grow up, these names really fit them. So have a look down at verse 27 with me. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. So, hairy Esau becomes a hunter, a man of the open fields. He's a, he's a go out, kill things, eat meat, urgh, that's Esau. Jacob, oh, he's much quieter and smoother. He likes to stay around the tents. He doesn't like to go too far from the apron strings. He loves to stay at home and talk to mummy. We find out kind of as the story goes on that when he's at home, he seems to spend quite a lot of time scheming about how he can screw his brother over. So there we have it. We have the, the hairy brute, Esau, and the smooth schemer, Jacob. Now let me just ask, which of those two do you think is going to be the hero? Which of those two do you think deserves to inherit God's blessings? Well, I don't know about you, but neither of them seem that attractive to me, the hairy brute or the smooth schemer. Neither of them seem to deserve God's blessings particularly. I don't think we're meant to like either of them. But this is where we're going to uh, look at the other character here, God. And we're going to see that God graciously bestows his blessing. Have a look down at verse 23 with me. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. See, God chooses here that the inheritance and all the blessings will go to the younger, to Jacob. And that's exactly what we're going to see playing out through the rest of the story. Through this story and the rest of the Bible, Esau and his descendants will come to serve Jacob and his descendants. God chooses and it happens. And this isn't the first time this has happened in Genesis. This is going to keep on happening. So we see um, at, the, at the beginning of various different family accounts in Genesis, uh, God kind of says what's going to happen, and then that plays out. So we see it in chapter 3 with Adam's family. We see it with Noah in chapter 9. We see it with Abraham in chapter 12. We see it with Joseph in chapter 37. God kind of chooses, and it happens. See, it's like the, the, the author of Genesis here. He's trying to present us with God. A God who has that level of authority. A God whose choices dictate reality. Oh, that's not like you and me. We're dealing with a God who is not like us, who is bigger than us, who is beyond us, who bestows blessing on whom he will. Now, I think there are two fascinating things about uh, God bestowing the blessing like this. The first is that this goes totally against what the culture would expect. Have a look down at the end of verse 23 with me. The elder will serve the younger. Now, in that culture, the inheritance always goes to the eldest child. In the ancient Near East, that was completely normal, completely expected. Not very fair, but totally normal. Yet God here chooses that all the promises will go to the younger, to Jacob. It's as if God is saying, 
I'm not bound by cultural expectations. God bestows blessing, graciously bestows blessing on who he will. That's often not what we would expect. Now, the second fascinating thing about this is that God doesn't bestow this blessing because of what Jacob is like. Now, the New Testament um, thinks that this is so important that we get this right, that it quotes this verse to make sure that we understand it. In Romans chapter 9, verse 11, it says, Yet before the twins were born, before they'd done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. You notice there that Jacob doesn't, deserve this. It's not that God peered into the future and saw that Jacob was going to be a great bloke and so rewarded him with the blessing. No, this choice happened apart from his works, apart from what he was like. And it's an important lesson for us there, that what you are like doesn't make you a Christian. God has to choose to have mercy on you. If, like me, you've been a Christian for a while, I find that pretty humbling. I'm naturally quite proud. I quite like to think that, having been a Christian for many years, a bit of me deserves a bit of it. So no. God has to choose to have mercy on you. If you're not a Christian tuning into this, you're just investigating the Christian faith, I wonder if that's ever occurred to you. That if you were to become a Christian, it's because God would have to choose to have mercy on you. God bestows, graciously bestows this blessing on who he will. Now, if that idea sounds um, unfair to you, this idea that God might choose to have mercy on some people and and not on others, um, it might just be because we're thinking about it wrongly. See, often when we we, we hear about this idea, we think about it like uh, as if humanity was all in a big bowl, imagine, and and all of that bowl is uh, humanity is, is neutral, and God picked some people to have mercy on and some people to judge. But actually, the picture that we get in the Bible and in Genesis at this point is rather that that bowl is not neutral, but rather all the people in that bowl have chosen to reject God. And that if he gave us what we deserved, we would be cut off from him. And so for God to pick any people out of that bowl and have mercy on them is is an overflow of undeserved kindness. God bestows blessing, graciously bestows blessing on who he will. Now, that still sounds unfair. Um, just hang on, because we're going to look at the second half of the story, and we're going to see it from, from Esau's point of view. And that might, that might change how we feel about it a little bit. Because now we're going to see that Esau trades God's blessing for immediate pleasures. Have a look down at verse 29 with me. Uh, Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good's a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. 
Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate, drank, and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So imagine uh, Esau in verse 29, then he walks in uh, from the fields, big hairy biceps bulging, probably a dead animal on his shoulders. He slams it down, sniffs the air, and sees that Jacob is making some red stew and says, Oi, give me some of that stuff. In, in Hebrew, it literally says, that red stuff, give me some of that red stuff. So there's a bit of a pun going on here. We have the red man longing for the red stuff. And Jacob looks up from the pot slyly and says, first sell me your birthright. That's not a normal thing to say. We get the impression that Jacob has been scheming and plotting this for some time. Sell me your birthright. Remember for a moment that that birthright, that inheritance, included the promises of God's uh, blessing. And Esau would have known that. You see, these twins would have been 15 years old when Abraham died, right? So we can imagine that Grandpa Abraham would have sat these boys uh, on his knee and pointed them up to the sky and taught them of the unbelievable promises that God had made to their family. So God promised that our descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. God promised to bless the whole world through our descendants, That is kind of what's on the line here in this inheritance, these mega promises from God. So on one side, that's what we've got, the inheritance, including these mega promises from God. And on the other side, we've got a bowl of soup. And Esau says, give me the soup. And you think, you muppets. You, you, you traded all of that blessing of infinite value for a pleasure that's just over in a moment. And he doesn't even seem to savor it or enjoy it for that long. If you look at verse 34, Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. He ate, drank, got up, and left. Ate, drank, got up, left. It's over in a second. He doesn't even seem to savor it. One old writer wrote, for what little pleasure has he lost an incomparable good? He, he, he set his heart on the red stuff, on what feels good now, on the thing that was right in front of him, rather than on God's promises. And verse 34 tells us what's going on right at the end. So Esau despised his birthrights. See, Esau despises that birthright. He rejects God's promises. It, it's, not, it's not like God is taking away something that Esau really wants here. Esau is not saying, God, please have mercy on me. And God is saying, no. He chooses to ignore God in favor of this immediate pleasure. And he's responsible for that. The same thing is true Um, For us, God offers to forgive anyone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, you can be washed clean. You can be reconciled to God, an inheritor of these promises. But if you ignore that offer, you are responsible for it. God won't drag anybody kicking and screaming into heaven. If If we turn our back on him, he will give us what we want. We will be cut off from him eternally. 
So God chooses who he'll have mercy on. But from the human point of view, we are still responsible for how we react to him. And Esau makes this tragic, tragic exchange. He chooses immediate pleasure over the promises of God. Two kind of applications for us then. What does this mean uh, for us today? Well, two applications. The first one, don't let your longing for the red stuff control you. Don't let your longing for the red stuff control you. Uh, Esau, he set his heart on what feels good now, on, on, on the thing that was right in front of him, the red stuff, rather than God's promises. And he makes this terrible trade. Yet that's an easy mistake for us to make, to set our hearts on what feels good now, what's right in front of us, rather than on God's promises. Of course, it won't be a bowl of soup. But what is it for you? What is the immediate feel-good pleasure on which you are tempted to set your hearts instead of God's and his promises. See, London is a city where there is a lot of red stuff around us and a lot of people living for the red stuff, a lot of uh, things that promise us immediate feel-good pleasure, financially, sexually, in all sorts of other ways. Now, we need to realise that... For most of us, this won't come as a uh, one dramatic moment of decision. It doesn't kind of come to us like that. Here, reject God in this one dramatic moment. No, the reality is that we prepare ourselves for those bigger acts by hundreds of smaller daily decisions. It's the reiterated choice of good or evil that gradually comes to determine our characters. And in those moments of temptation, this this story is here so that we think, no, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like Esau. I do not want to be controlled by my urges for the red stuff. That's the first application. Don't let your urge for the red stuff control you. Second application is don't let your activity dominate you. See, Esau here, he seems to always be rushing. If you look at verse 29, he comes in from the open countryside, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. Jacob says, can you sell me your birthright? He says, yeah, sure, fine. And then verse 34, he eats, gets up, yeah, he eats, uh, drinks, gets up, leaves. He ate, drank, and got up and left. He hunts, he's hungry, he eats, he gets up, he goes. He's dominated by his activity. He's rushing around. He never pauses to think about what's going on here, about God's promises and the eternal realities. His heart just gets set on the red stuff, the immediate pleasure. Now, again, it's easy to be like that, to be a bundle of busyness bustling around, particularly living in London, to fill our time with frantic activity, always with good things. I think this is true whether you would call yourself a Christian or not. Well, if you call yourself a Christian, it's so easy to get busy with good things. You never pause and think, and your heart can end up being drawn and consumed by the red stuff, and you don't even realize it's happening because you're just dominated by your activity. But also particularly, um, this might be a particular danger for you if, if you're just investigating the Christian faith because lockdown is beginning to end, and our normal activities are rushing back in to our lives. 
And as that activity resumes, it's going to be very easy to start thinking, I'm too busy to keep thinking about faith. Yeah, I will, I will at some point, but I'm just too busy right now. Too busy with what? I mean, what could be more important than sorting out our relationship with God? So don't allow your activity to dominate you. If we do, we're in danger of making Esau's mistake. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do not deserve uh, your mercy, but we acknowledge your right to have mercy on, on whom you will. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes this week to any ways in which we are being controlled by the red stuff. We pray that you would keep us from making Esau's mistake of trading your eternal blessings for a moment of momentary pleasure. Please keep us from that, we pray in your name. Amen.